Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Two Cyber Chicks podcast. You're about to join Erica and Jax for an inclusive cybersecurity conversation designed to educate and break the stereotypes of cybersecurity professionals while providing life hacks on how to handle burnout, networking, and goal setting. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, this is part two of our show. I'm so excited to be back. So, y'all, if you tuned in for episode one, Elizabeth is a VP of Client Services. She's a consultant, a LinkedIn learning instructor, a mentor, and an author. She is joining us to talk about a lot of fun topics today. We're going to kick things off with virtual presence. So, Elizabeth, you're an expert at virtual presence. You have your experience with LinkedIn learning trainings. I mean, even pre-pandemic, like you've been killing the LinkedIn, the video all that side of the business. So what's your view on physical appearance in the workplace, the backgrounds for video conferencing? I know I know for us gals, it's, I mean, it's like on a different level, right? Do we wear makeup? Do we do our hair? What do we wear? Do we, do we put on a nice blouse or can we just kind of like rock and roll with a t-shirt? Do you have any rules of thumb here for how to master this remote workplace? It's funny, before we we hopped on, Erica and I were talking about the show and I asked her, are we going to be live on video? Because I wanted to know, should I do my makeup and should I do my hair? But I think you make a really important point. And over the last couple of years, it's something all of us have tried to find balance in. Because at one point, you want to look professional. And on the other hand, you don't want to spend an hour in front of the mirror every day. Like we got stuff to do. We are three powerful ladies and we do not have time for that. So I think, you know, to give the classic consulting answer, it kind of depends on what you're doing and it depends on what you're comfortable with. I know for me, not wearing any makeup at all and not doing my hair, especially in a client facing video call is kind of uncomfortable, but that probably has to do more with me than like anybody else. Yeah, fair enough. I think Jax, you and I have talked about this too. It's like, there's days where we feel like, hey, I want to give a little oomph to my day and I need to pick me up. And if I do my hair and my makeup, I'm looking good for me. And I totally hear you, Elizabeth. Like there's some meetings that I'm like, you know what? This is the first impression this client's going to get of me. I do want to look a little bit more put together, polished versus if I have like full back-to-back internal meetings and I do intend to use camera. I use camera a lot, not going to lie. I'm okay showing my authentic self and having my ponytail and, you know, wearing whatever sweatshirt I have on and, you know, just bringing my smile and using that as my, uh, as my makeup. <laughs> I love that. I love the smile as your makeup. That's awesome. And I have my power headband over here that I use when I got on my live streams. I don't know why, but today, and I'm not even a headband person, but I'm like, I'm going to wear my headband. Because there was a couple of calls today. I actually had to turn my camera on and I was meeting with some people for like pre-show stuff. And I think that it really, like you said, Elizabeth, also, by the way, so thrilled to have you back on the show. You know, I'm a big fan. 
I like what you said about, you know, you're like, I don't know if I'm making them uncomfortable or for it's me that's uncomfortable about not having my makeup on. And I think it's me. I honestly don't think that people care as much as we think they do. But yeah, it's interesting though, because now we're going away from the virtual space. You know, COVID is lifting, thankfully. And now we're going in back into in-person. I'm curious, now that we're kind of all going back on the road, you included, how has your work changed? How has your appearance changed? Have your clients started reaching out to you and been excited to see you come back in person, but are there still reservations with you coming in person? What does that look like for you? It's really a mixed bag for me. And I would suspect it is for the two of you as well. You know, some of my clients shifted virtually and have made the decision to stay 100% remote indefinitely. There is no back to the office on the horizon for them. Other clients are, you know, what's coronavirus? We're all back 100% of the time. This never happened. Back to the office, full steam ahead. Most clients are somewhere in the middle. But I think what's happened over the last couple of years is people are recognizing no matter where you are on that spectrum, the efficiency of working virtually and how much time pre-coronavirus we were spending traveling, commuting, and how much of our mental energy that was taken. So I think regardless of how frequently people are coming back, there's a lot more intention when they do. All right, I'm going to pivot a little bit. So I know you have a lot of experience on the sales side of the house and Jackson and I, you know, we are newer to the sales functions, but they're very much course to leadership roles, right? It's mm-hmm. something that's kind of like inevitable, whether you're a salesperson or not by trade, you're selling yourself every day, right? There's like an aspect, everything that we do that kind of has like quote unquote selling sprinkled in. So we leverage our subject matter expertise, honestly, to just like gain that trust with our customers, but those traditional sales tactics that you learn through like an entry level sales role, like those things are kind of, you know, things that we're having to learn through trial and error rather than like learning them earlier on in our careers. So I know that you've been doing some segments and you have that background in sales. So do you have any tips for leaders that are non-traditional, you know, salespeople, right? That we're now being held to sales quotas and have like sales responsibilities tied to our roles. How do we expedite our learning path if we can at all with like sales do's and don'ts? Sales do's and don'ts is a huge topic. But what I think is happening now is that because performance has gotten so granular, both in sales and other leadership spaces that aren't necessarily sales, you have metrics tied to you no matter what role you're in. Once you get to a certain level of an organization, you're reporting on a number and it's easy to get wigged out about that. So whether you're an entry level business development rep, like the the starter sales role, or whether you're a leader who's trying to get buy-in on your ideas, maybe you're evaluated on customer retention or market share, something bigger like that, you have to be able to sell. But when you focus, ironically, on selling and when you obsess about the number and when you lose sleep over, am I going to hit this target? Am I going to hit this quota? Whatever it is, your odds of actually achieving it go way down. And the better you're able to point your brain to How am I going to deliver value? How am I going to grow this? How am I going to help other people see what we can do for them? That puts your brain in a totally different headspace. And what we know from the research is you're a lot more likely to hit your numbers. So it's kind of ironic because when you get into a leadership position, you're given a number usually, and it's hard not to obsess about it. But the more you obsess about it, the less likely you are to hit it because you're too busy obsessing. Oh my gosh, 100%. It's like I had a business partner tell me one time, when you chase the money, it runs further away from you. 
That's so true. So before I pivot into this other question that I have for you, I want to do a follow-up on that and ask you, what can individuals do to help them from stressing, from getting into basically, I always call it like spinning, like the penny that's spinning in that little like little money thing that you have at like the fair and it just spends and spends and spends forever until it finally drops down the drain. That's what I feel like stress sometimes. So we overanalyze things and we just spend. So how can we stop the spend when we've got a quota? that we need to hit the way you stop the spin. And it's funny you use that analogy. I call it the lizard brain and it's the same like self-perpetuating cycle. Like I'm not going to hit my number this quarter. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to hit my number this year. They're going to fire me. I'm never going to be able to get another job. I'm going to have no money. Like your brain can take you there almost instantly. So how do you quiet that and stop the spin to use your word checks? We know we show up as our best self when we're in the service of other people. So you have to ask yourself in those moments, how can I be helpful? How can I be helpful to my team? And how can I be helpful to my clients? And even if you have to fake it, just prompting your thinking with that is going to light up your frontal lobes. You're going to become more creative. You're going to become more strategic. And that lizard brain is going to learn to shut up. But if you don't point yourself outwards and you just obsess with that inward look, like we know from the research, you're not going to hit the numbers. You have to point yourself on the service of others. I love that. Always asking what you can do for others or thinking what, how can I better this project or this contract that I'm on with this client? I love, love, love that outlook. Okay. So a little bit of a pivot. I have seen that you have launched a new Monday motivation series. This is super exciting. Monday motivation. I said we did. Who couldn't use a little motivation, right? On Monday of all days. Absolutely. <laughs> Nobody needs too much motivation on Friday. So what inspired you to do that outside of the fact that, yes, it's a Monday, but can you t- share with us what was your motivation? Like, what's your why? And then what are some of your favorite topics so far? The motivation for Monday motivation. Very meta. I like it. So what initially started this thinking was I'm a LinkedIn learning instructor and LinkedIn just recently released LinkedIn live audio, which is like live podcasting for lack of a better term. So I was thinking like, okay, how can I leverage all of the LinkedIn content that we've made and also get in on this new audio capability and still have it be really high energy. And that's where Monday motivation came in. Just looking at my own behavior, like, okay, it's Monday morning. I don't necessarily have the attention to watch a one hour LinkedIn learning course to better myself. Like I got too many things going on. And I personally love to put podcasts on in the background just to kind of passively learn. So what we started doing was taking the topics we've written courses on and using them as topics for Monday motivation. So for example, our one coming up next week is navigating awkward situations at work. And we'll just do a 30 minute riff on the highlights of the course, the questions people put in the comments of that course, and what's changed because we've been making this content for a number of years. And when I say we, I'm referring to myself and Lisa McLeod, my business partner, and also mother. So we co-author a lot of these courses and we co-host Monday Motivation with LinkedIn Learning. But it's been really fun. And I know I don't have to sell podcasting to the two of you, but I think it's a fun, casual way to start off your week and still get something of value. Now, did you mention what time these go live? Are they live? Are they pre-recorded? They are live and unfiltered live, no editing. So it's added pressure. They're Monday at 10 Eastern. And if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll get a notification when you go live. Great. And we will have this information in the show notes. Let's talk about leadership, an area that you're an expert in, an area that you've studied and understand this space. And you have made some posts about informal leadership. And I thought this was really interesting 
because we always hear about high achieving leaders and the, the forward leaning leaders. So can we talk a little bit about what is informal leadership and what does it really mean? To me, informal leadership is leading from the seat you're in, whether you have directs or not. And even if you are a leader with direct reports, you're likely having to informally lead amongst your peers. You're having to lead up. So it's viewing your interactions through that lens of leadership, even if it's not the traditional hierarchical me talking to you subordinate. And what we're seeing in a virtual environment is the ability to do that, to win hearts and minds and to, to make things happen, that's not necessarily dependent on a title. You don't have to be a senior director or a CEO or have this prestige to make real change in your organization. So I think informal leadership is something that's been subtle for a long time, but is gaining popularity because people are recognizing it's essential, even if you don't want to move up. Absolutely. hundred percent. Do you think, cause we're a lot of us, you even stated it earlier. A lot of us are still in the virtual space yeah. and we may never go back to in-person. Do you think that you can be an impactful and an informal leader virtual and maybe not even ever meeting the people that you work with in person? I absolutely do. I absolutely undoubtedly do. It's more challenging, mm -hmm. of course, because virtual gives us all types of constraints. But I think if you can't do a good job leading with the technology we have, when we have video, when we have email, when we have all of these tools at our disposal, saying that, oh, well, I need to be in person, it's really kind of a lame excuse. I mean, look at, at the way our world works. People have international businesses. People are building relationships, both friendships, personal relationships, romantic relationships, work relationships, all the time in a virtual environment. So I think, yes, it's challenging, but it absolutely can be done. And to throw your hands up and say, well, I can't be a good leader unless I'm in the office is really just not going to fly in the future of work. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, specifically when we think about like the adjustment and the additional effort, right, that needs to mm -hmm. take place. So in my role, for example, I know I did a lot of in-person coaching on site at clients doing, you know, security assessments. I know that I was able to give real-time feedback. I could be guiding them as they were asking certain questions or giving advice, whatever it may be. You know, it was like a very quick thing for me to catch things on the fly and then afterwards do like a recap. Now I've been able to take that adjustment and say, okay, I still want to give back. I still want to give that mentorship and that coaching touch point, but maybe I'm going to make sure that I set aside a time block right after the call to do a debrief. How did you feel about that? Here's some talking points that I took down. Here's some areas that I thought you did really well. Here's some other areas and kind of like also, I know it's a, it's additional time, right? But it's like making it work, even preps. Like there have been times where I'm hopping on like a sales call and we, instead of, you know, doing this in person, we were able to like rally in the Uber or whatever and say, Hey, like, this is what I'm going to talk about. Here's what you're going to talk about. We're going to come together with this like last message. Now we're having to do that, like with a quick Slack call or whatever it is, right. Or hopping mm -hmm. on the phone and just saying, Hey, here's what I'm going to leave. Here's the understanding that I have. Here are the main questions that I need answered before we get off the phone. So that additional time and kind of like pivoting, I think that's just crucial to making this work. But you're very much right that like the, the leadership is still there. It's just, it's challenging and we need to adjust to make it work. So, you know, talking about informal leadership, I think this is just such an interesting topic and it kind of makes me pivot to a question about getting support from your immediate leader, right? Like we're, we all have 
quote unquote, supervisors and leaders in our roles. And sometimes there is a need based on either job fit, personality fit, whatever it is that you do want to seek leadership elsewhere. And I think it is a healthy thing from my perspective, this is Erica's perspective, I think it's a healthy thing to do. But do you have any tips for how not to, let's just say like burn any kind of relationship that you have so that your manager doesn't take it the wrong way? Well, I definitely agree with you that you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket when it comes to leadership. And that's not fair to your leader either, right? Like what if they're having a hard day? What if they're under an intense deadline? What if they're going through something? If you are dependent solely on one person, that puts you in a really risky position. So I think the best thing to do is to be really authentic with your manager and let them know ahead of time. You can even ask them, who else do you think it would be helpful for me to talk to about this? Do you know anyone that I could speak with about, you know, growing in this area? So they aren't caught off guard when you are seeking that advice and they don't get a little insecure if they hear you're going elsewhere. And most good leaders are receptive to that. Most good leaders recognize they can't be all things to all people, especially a high performer. They're going to need a wide variety of support systems. So communication is what I'm hearing in like all caps, bold, underline. <laughs> communication. And I'll put the question back to the two of you. Would you be upset if either, you know, if someone on your team said, I'm going to talk to so-and-so about, you know, growing in this area or this exam they took or this thing I want to do? I personally welcome that. And I know that a lot of the people on my team do that. They actively have mentorship that is not just me. because a lot of the time on our one-on-ones, like, yes, yeah, sure, we talk about career development Probably, you know, on a predefined frequency, we do that. But a lot of our one-on-ones, like the ones that are, they're tactical. We're talking about client XYZ needs what, and we need to talk about this. So it's like a different, it's a different relationship, right? And I feel like you can uncover a whole different side if you're talking to people that you don't directly report to or work with every single day and know so much more about you. It's just, it's different, different and good. And I want to celebrate that. Jax, what do you think? I love it. I think it's a great time to celebrate, celebrate your employees. I think that there is, when you get a leader that is not supportive of you going out and getting additional education or learning, that just says a lot about their characteristics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't consider him a good leader, probably more of a manager, maybe where they're just focused on the numbers and the product and the work instead of caring about their people and investing in relationships. Absolutely. And if you don't have any other mentor besides your manager, who are you going to go to advice on on dealing with your manager, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's such a great point, because especially in the cybersecurity space, we really lean on mentors. And I've been in really toxic environments. And I will say that where I'm at today, I am so happy. I tell Erica all the time, I have great leadership. And even though I came in as a manager, they've put me in into roles where I can crawl, walk, and run. And a lot of organizations won't do that. They'll hire you in as a manager, and then they'll throw you in the fire, and they'll just like, all right, figure it out, go swim. And I don't think that's the best approach, like really foster those relationships, be that mentor, be that leader for them. And, you know, a lot of organizations this time of year are going through, I know for where I'm at, we're going through evaluations. We do these quarterly evaluations. I don't know a lot about them because I'm still fairly new, but I know that we like need to input our eval of what we project will have done by the end of third or fourth quarter. And it goes into our eval for our bonuses. And I'm curious what your thoughts are, are around these organizations that are going 
and they are processing certain merits for employees, salary adjustments, but also taking into consideration because I live in DC and we're going through huge inflation out here. I see it not because I don't have to drive to work. I see it through groceries. Like my groceries are 30 or $40 more a week and it's everything's just going to keep going up. So We've got employers that are going to have to take that into consideration and try to give these raises while everything's increasing. And so what is an approach for an employee to be able to take, help them better manage their expectations? Or another aspect, another different way of asking this is how can an employee prepare to maybe have these conversations with their employer to prepare themselves for maybe not the same bonus that they got last year, for example. It's interesting you bring this up. I wrote about this in our Work on Purpose newsletter a couple of weeks ago because it is so front of mind for almost everyone. Everyone is feeling the pinches of inflation. But what I think is interesting when it comes to inflation and how it's connected to something like a performance appraisal or an eval is performance and evaluations, kind of where we started this conversation, are more quantifiable now than they have ever been. You have the ability to connect yourself to metrics to connect yourself to deliverables, to show really quantifiable, valuable growth in a way that has not been possible up until this point. And I think the two connect in a couple of ways. First, that value that you're delivering to the organization needs to be the front of your talking track because everyone is screaming about inflation. It's not a unique argument. Organizations only have so much money and saying it costs more for me to live. It costs more for everyone to live. So I think highlighting the value you're delivering before you get into inflation is a really good practice, no matter what's going on in the world when it comes to performance evaluations. And the Wall Street Journal wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, too. If you make inflation your only argument for getting a pay raise, your company is likely to come back to you and say, well, we're feeling the pinches of inflation, too, right? Like our vendors are squeezing us, our market margins are down, it's more expensive to pay our bills, inflation's impacting everyone. But if you lead with your value, here's how I'm contributing to the organization, why it matters, what it means for our future goals, that's a lot more robust of a conversation. So I think as people prepare for evaluation season, appraisal season, whatever the terminology is in your organization, it's tempting to lean on inflation because it is so present. But I do think it's a mistake to make it the centerpiece of your argument. And same for employers. You don't want to be doling out raises just because it's more expensive to live. You certainly want to pay your people a fair wage. Everyone deserves to to live a good life if they're putting in good work, but you still want to tether to what value in a two-way street are we providing for each other, employer to employee. Yeah, this is such a this is such a tough, tough topic, honestly, because I feel like sometimes it can be a lose-lose because depending on the role or the individual, you know, do they understand the the business, right? The mm-hmm. overhead, like you mentioned, the organizational drivers, all the things that come up into running a business, right? And on the other side, it's, do I feel valued based on a number? And so it's like employers, like you're managing so many different things, so many different expectations and, you know, going back to value, right? Like value is so much more than a number and a dollar amount. Value is, I mean, everything from your quality of life, right? The opportunity to learn, the people that you get to work with, the culture that you're immersed in. There's so many intangibles that I, that I just... I always think about and I'm like, those are the things that really matter. Sure, you want to have a pay that 
helps you live a good life, right? You don't want to be stressed to paycheck. Like I understand that, right? But it's on the flip side, like, okay, understanding that there's much more that goes into just pay. So thank you so much for that insight, Elizabeth. I think we're going to have to do a part three. We have so much we could talk about. (laughs) For now, I will direct all of our listeners to your LinkedIn, to our Monday Motivation series. So excited to tune into that. Elizabeth, any last words before uh, we wrap things up? It was great to be with you both today. And you know, I'll say one final piece here. We've talked about showing up virtually. We've talked about whether you're working remotely or whether you're working in person. We've also talked about compensation, how you can get more as an employee and really show the value you're delivering to the organization. But I think Erica, your last point really hit it. Work is such an all-encompassing experience. And to tie us back to our, our grounding topic of noble purpose, people want to feel like what they are doing matters because it does. And the more we can show up as leaders that way, the more we can show up as employees that way, the more we can always tie back to how we're making a difference, the better the world of work is for everybody. I love it. That was a great note to end on. Thank you, Elizabeth. You're amazing. Thanks, Elizabeth. We'll catch you on the next one. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Two Cyber Chicks Podcast with Erica and Jax. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.